Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone and then be seated, please. Amen. Glad to have you out tonight. Wonderful to have you out tonight. I hope that you have one of our bulletins. And uh, the bulletin tonight, of course, fervent prayer from this morning, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Think of all those times when we were driven to our knees. And think of the wonderful, glorious time of communion we had with the Lord when we were forced to our knees in that time of difficulty. So I trust that you'll keep that bulletin as a reminder of even the difficulties being a time when we come into His presence. And uh, as we are being tested, we're finding that His grace certainly is sufficient. We have sign-up boards for our upcoming 4th of July day picnic. On Monday, the 4th of July, we'll meet here and we'll set up between 8 and 10 and then at 10 o'clock we will have all of our games activities, our meal at noon, followed by a message from the Word of God on patriotism, also presenting Jesus Christ who's still the answer. So bring your unsaved friends, remind them it is a church activity, and so we want to observe modesty and, uh, and uh, propriety in every respect, though we're going to have a good time outdoors. And we'll close up by round two, do some cleanup, and get the grounds looking good for the next time we meet in church. Praise the Lord. All right, this week, don't forget that every day from the Shepherd of the Sheep comes on from 6 o'clock on. You want to subscribe? Our numbers of subscribers and our hits have been increasing online, and praise the Lord for that. Uh, don't forget also Wednesday night, we'll be here at 7.30 and you want to join with God's people for the midweek service, the Bible study, and prayer meeting. And then on Saturday, we're having uh, our, our monthly workday, which means we start one hour early. We'll meet at 8 o'clock. Everybody come. Let's do a deep cleaning, and let's do some fixing and repairing and things that need to be done around here. 10 o'clock, we'll go out on visitation, having a great time on visitation here lately. And then Sunday... Uh, we'll be meeting in our regular services. Two weeks from today, we will have our Father's Day observance. We'll have special uh, mementos to give to all of the men. We'll have a special uh, number, a musical number uh, along that theme of Father's Day. Just a, a great time. And then on the 26th, we'll have graduation promotion in the morning service and Sunday school as well. And we'll give out uh, gift certificates to our bookstore. Amen. And so let's remember that. And then in the evening, we will have our 16th year graduation from our Bible Institute, a number of other honors as well, as we mentioned offline this morning. And so don't miss out on that. We'll have coffee and cake fellowship following the service. That's on the 26th. Later on in the summer, we will have our uh, Prince William County Soul Winning Fair Booth Outreach. We'll have training for that second half of July. I hope that you'll be part of our team. And then the 12th to the 20th of August, we'll be out there looking to win as many souls to Christ as we possibly can reach. Well, amen. We've been uh, seeing God bless through our special projects giving. Right now, our special project is for revival. I want you to pray for the revival effort that we're going to be involved with up in Indiana uh, later in, in June. I hope you'll be praying and giving toward that. And then a number of other uh, gatherings across the country and around the world were supporting this very important effort for revival. 
And we talked some about that this morning. And tonight we are going to get right into the Word of God. I have already read for you 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. My, it has been something that we've lived, haven't we, sweetheart? These years together, uh, our, our uh, marriage has been wonderful, uh, but our challenges that we've faced uh, in the ministry and in daily life from all different sources, the world, the flesh, and the devil, have been very great. And as we've seen God work, uh, we sang, I'm learning to lean. We don't ever, ever say anymore, I have learned, because we never stop learning. Uh, we have the trials of our faith, don't we? And this morning in Sunday school, we emphasize that great verse that everybody should be memorizing in Romans chapter 8. Of course, it's loaded with great verses, but verse number 28, and we know there are some things we can know, and we know that all things, not just some, but all things, all the different component parts of our life work together for good to them, here it is, that love God to them that are the called, or who are the called according to His purpose. And so, as someone has wisely pointed out, uh, this is, uh, it's got two to thems in it, all right, to them that love God, that's from us to God, and then uh, to them who are the called according to His purpose, that's from God to us. So God is going to take all the parts of our life and uh, they're going to come together for His glory and make some semblance of sense, whereas we might not be able to figure it out. God will bring it together and praise the Lord for that. God has promised us grace, hasn't He? He's promised us grace in suffering, and that's what the, the book of, of uh, First Peter is all about. It's about God's grace. No doubt about it, Peter understood about God's grace. He, uh, he saw in his own life, in the persecutions that he endured in the book of Acts, and then as we see snatches of his life, we understand that he was experiencing the brunt of the persecution along with others uh, of Jewish background, and particularly those who had received Messiah as Savior. And uh, Nero was was lighting up his garden parties with the burning bodies of the believers. And he knew all about this sort of thing. But Peter understood that God provides His marvelous grace in all of these circumstances. Amen and amen. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, the second part of verse number 12, testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The true word of grace. You, you know, you look through 1 Peter and you find grace mentioned in every chapter, every single chapter of this great book. So we understand that Peter and the believers in that time that were suffering were drawing from God's grace and they were understanding some of the things that we spoke of when we began tonight. When we go through the deepest, uh, darkest hours of our trial, that's when we experience the grace of God. If we are experiencing the grace of God, we're coming to know God in, in a greater way, in more detail. And that should be one of the highlights of our uh, spiritual experience. We want to have the very spirit of Christ, the attitude 
of Christ through all of the difficulties that we experience in our daily lives. I want you to actually turn back to chapter number 4. Chapter number 4, beginning at verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. So what is, what is the point? The point is we have here an admonition to have the same mind, or, or to put it in our vernacular, the same attitude that Jesus Christ had in the midst of His suffering. Is that possible? Yes, it is possible, and that's what we're told to be and to do. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. One of the side benefits of our suffering persecution for Jesus Christ with this mind or this spirit, this attitude of Christ, is that we are not going to mind the things of the flesh. We're not going to prioritize the things that are going to pass away and the things uh, that... Uh, uh, that cause us to become dissipated and uh, less than a sterling example of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. When life is easy, when life is comfortable, it is our tendency to do what? To kick back, to take it easy. But when life is difficult, it is our tendency to... to uh, to arm ourselves, as it says here, with the same mind that Jesus Christ had when in the days of His flesh He faced those same kind of difficulties. Our values and our goals are going to be tried in the crucible of testing, of trials, of difficulties. The fiery trial is like a furnace that purifies the gold and allows God then to remove the dross, that which is unnecessary, that which is not complementary to the cause of Jesus Christ. Here is what suffering does for us then. It identifies us, put it down, identifies us with Jesus Christ. We know that He suffered, likewise we're going to suffer. He suffered, and what this will do for us is it will give us a new consciousness, a, a new way of thinking, a new way of approaching life. He suffered for us in order to save us. We suffer for Him to learn to hate sin. And we suffer for Him and with Him to love Him more. So we learn to hate sin on the one hand, and we learn to love Him more through our suffering. Peter is encouraging us here to suffer with Jesus Christ and for Him that we might have the mind or the same spirit attitude of Christ and realize that this is going to help us in our having victory over sin in our own life. We're going to be depending upon the Lord and focusing upon Him because the trial of our faith is in the process of purifying and 
removing the dross from our life. According, according to one writer, this is very much like what Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 6. There are similarities, as you can see. So we understand a little bit of the Spirit of Christ through suffering. And so we say, praise the Lord anyway. Praise the Lord for that. If I've got to suffer, at least on the plus side, I'm going to understand the Lord Jesus Christ. More about Him. That's it. We learn more about the Lord by the grace that God gives us in the midst of our suffering. Secondly, I want you to see that our suffering for Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ reminds us that we're not here to stay, that our life is short, that this abbreviated experience of ours is not going to go on forever and ever. People who take life for granted and think that everything's just going to be the same all the time uh, are not approaching the reality of suffering as they ought to. People that are not prepared sometimes then become a little uh, disorganized in their thinking. They become confused and they think that somehow God has forsaken them when in reality God is going to prove Himself through the suffering. And God is going to bring us through the suffering. And we are going to identify with Jesus Christ and we're going to be reminded that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen. It says in verse number 3, For the time past of our life our, may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Now that's our past. That's in our rearview mirror. Because we've been saved by grace through faith and we have now the ability to live victoriously above sin, we don't have to go back there. And we're reminded that, guess what? We don't have to live here in this old world forever because we're going to be removed from this world. Praise God. That's good. How foolish. How foolish for those who claim to be Christians to want to spend the rest of their time in enjoyment, running with the world, and trying to get along with those who are the enemies of Jesus Christ. I've got no business yoking up with unbelievers, and neither have you. As you think about all of your connections in this world, are you so tightly connected to individuals and organizations and activities that you have begun to identify with them instead of with Christ? If that is the key, then it's time to separate from them and unto Christ and acknowledge the fact that we're not part of this world system. And we don't want to start thinking like this world system and operating on the same basis that this world system operates. Our life here is short. We're going home. One of these days, we're going to leave this world. One of these days, we'll be gone. We won't be here anymore. And praise the Lord, we want to be able to look back and say, it's all been glory. It's been victorious. It's been by His grace and for His glory. Now there's something else that suffering persecution does in the life of the saint, the life of the believer. Not only does it identify us with Jesus Christ, not only does it remind us that this life as we know it is very brief, 
but it also points ahead to what is inevitable for those who do not repent and seek the Lord. Beginning at verse 4, please follow as I read, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick, that's the living and the dead. For, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. They had their chance. They had their opportunity. Dead before their time spiritually. And they pass off the scene. And they look, uh, they look at us during the time that we're living and they think that we are strange. They think that we are unusual. The truth of the matter is that the Christian lives either according to the word of God or they live according to the judgment of man, either according to the judgment of God or the judgment of man. Now, which set of rules are we going to live by? The, world's think, the world thinks that we are strange, that, that we are unusual, that we no longer run with them, that we no longer go with them where they go and partake of the activities and, and uh, take into our body and into our life the things that we used to. Uh, they speak evil of us because we're no fun anymore. We're not part of their party anymore. Their evil speaking, however, should not upset us. It should not affect our taking a stand for Jesus Christ. God is going to judge them someday. And we ought to be feeling bad for them. I found myself feeling bad for the wicked the other day. Uh, not uh, in uh, some kind of... of uh, syrupy sympathy, but feeling bad that they had not yet come to God through Christ, feeling bad that they had not yet experienced salvation by grace through faith, feeling bad that if they don't come to God through Christ, they're going to burn forever. And as the apostle Paul said, he could wish himself accursed for his brethren in the flesh, the Jews. Uh, we, we ought to have a desire, such a strong desire to see people come to God through Christ that we would have that same sentiment with the Apostle Paul. There is a judgment day coming. There are people, there are people who are going to look back and say, I had my opportunity, but I didn't take it. They heard the gospel, but they didn't respond. It's not God's fault, and they can't accuse God of anything because they didn't respond. These people, many of them will not come to God, have decided not to come to God because they, they think there's too high a price to pay. They think it's too much for them to have to give up. They think it's too difficult for them to get saved and to be numbered among us. The truth of the matter is none of those are legitimate reasons for refusing God's grace. It's important for us to arm ourselves, as it says, with the same attitude toward the world, the flesh, the devil, toward sin and judgment, toward suffering that Jesus Christ had while on earth. And we would do well to study it out and to say, what did Jesus think? How did he feel? 
How did he respond? We should have a spiritual attitude. And if we don't have a spiritual attitude, we're going to become hardened and uh, we're going to close off uh, any opportunity that God would have to work in our heart and life and, and cause us to, to have any kind of, of desire to see lost folks saved and we'll become bitter and hardened instead of being purified as God's desire is for us. Now suffering purifies us. We need to arm ourselves with the same attitude as Jesus Christ had. And then as we think of suffering, we think about what it does to the corporate body known as our church. It says in verse number 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And this is what we said this morning. As we were looking at the subject of prayer, according to the book of James, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And as God moved upon our hearts to become more adept at intercessory prayer, praying for others, waking up in the middle of the night when God wakes us up, and instead of just taking a sleep aid, pray for the one that God brings to mind. Start down your prayer list. Begin to pray. The subject of intercessory prayer is affected by the idea that we have to go to great lengths to be intercessors. We simply have to take the nudging of the Spirit. And whenever the Spirit of God brings an individual or a family or a situation to mind, we should stop right then and pray. When we're in the middle of sleep, when we're in the middle of our day, when we're at work, when we're on the road, the one thing we can always do, keep your eyes open and your eyes on the road, but we can pray. And we can pray intercessory prayers. And the, the reason we should pray intercessory prayers is not simply because they work. Pragmatism is not a good motivation for doing what God has commanded. We should be intercessors because God says to be intercessors. We should be prayer warriors out of obedience to God. And because Jesus Christ himself, as we're thinking about his character and his behavior and his mindset, as we are to arm ourselves with that same spirit, that same mind of Christ, Jesus Christ would go to prayer and he would pray for his own, as we find in John chapter 17. Intercessory prayer isn't something we do because it's easy. Intercessory prayer is something we do because it's God's will. That's it. So as we think about that, and as we have just read that admonition, let's become the prayer warriors that God wants us to be. And let's do it, not simply because it works, but because God says to do it. All right, so be sober and watch unto prayer. Be sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. So we're to be 
warmer in our prayer life. We're to be warmer in our expression of agape love towards others. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. We should have a desire to be like Jesus. And the best way to do this is not simply with sentimentality, but with agape love. We need to be a channel of that agape love. We need to allow the Lord to flow through us and touch the lives of others. In these trying and difficult times, Peter is saying to the believers, here's something you can do. When you're being persecuted, you can arm yourself with the mind of Jesus Christ. You can be aware of the fact that the judgment is coming. And you can be like Jesus Christ in praying, praying for one another, praying for others as well, and have fervent charity that covers a multitude of sins. It says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Hospitality isn't just going out and enjoying on some very light level the company of other people with whom you have a lot in common. But hospitality is God's people going that extra mile and finding some new believer or some family in the church with whom you have very little in common otherwise other than Jesus Christ and showing that love and that hospitality toward them in spite of whatever superficial or surface differences there may be. Use hospitality without grudging. Don't say, Oh, well, if I have to, I'll show hospitality. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Where'd that grace come from? Why, that grace is extended to us because we're enduring suffering. We're enduring that persecution, and God is providing that grace and as he's providing that grace, we find uh, just a, a number of applications. And there we have, once again, grace. Grace as uh, good stewards of the, good, of the manifold grace of God. Minister one to another. The word minister, as used in the New Testament, means have a servant's heart. Serve one another. There it is. It doesn't mean to seek the limelight. It means to serve one another. I believe we serve one another in many ways. But usually the, the least uh, favorite ways of our flesh, the ways that might be of the Spirit instead. And then it says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God, as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So sometimes we serve in some menial tasks using our hands, using our physical abilities, and sometimes, sometimes through a speaking gift that God has given us. All of it is of grace. Every bit of it is designed to build up, to lift up, to help, to encourage. Who can think of a time when you were down so far and God sent somebody and they said, you know what, 
I've been through something similar. I've gone through a difficulty and God's grace is sufficient. And they've ministered to you and they had just the right words. These were, these were like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Just the right, the appropriate things to say. This is called the gift of encouragement. One of the highest compliments anyone ever, ever paid me. Recently, an individual in the ministry said, Brother, you've got the gift of encouragement. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I took that as being a tremendous compliment. God used me to say something that lifted somebody up, that encouraged them, that helped them when they were going through a time of difficulty. Well, if someone has done that for you, then shouldn't we likewise be a channel of God's blessings to others? Suffering enables us to depend upon the grace of God. We seek to know and we learn to know more about the Lord and we're learning to lean, we're, we're depending on Him more. Suffering is purifying us like gold. Suffering is introducing us to the fact that others will be judged. Suffering is helping us to arm ourselves with the same spirit, the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And then through the process, as we're experiencing the grace of God, guess what? We can minister to others. We can touch the lives of others. We can make a difference in the lives of others so that they will be blessed. I believe God lets us go through things because God also wants us to share with others the fact that He'll extend grace to them. I believe that's it. Over in 2 Corinthians... In chapter 1, that passage of Scripture that we've used so often in times of loss when people are there at the side of the casket of their loved one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Now here it is. For as the sufferings of Christ, we just saw that, didn't we, in 1 Peter. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Here's what I truly believe. When I'm going through that deep dark valley, there doesn't seem to be any glimmer of light or hope. God sends somebody who's been through a difficult time himself or herself. And they share the fact that God provided grace in that time of hurting, that time of pain. And in so doing, they give what's in them to me, to you, to us. And God ministers grace to us. It's all because of the sufferings of Christ. It's all because the individual has armed himself or herself with that mind, that spirit, that attitude of Christ. And so they share that with you. And so you get through this difficulty. You don't think you're going to make it. You feel like you're just going to die. Like there's just, there's more than you can handle. It's going to overwhelm you. And God gives you grace. And you get through that time of loss. Now, fast forward. A month, six months, a year, somebody else going through a time 
of difficulty, of pain, of hurt. What have you got? You've got that time that you experienced God's grace. Someone came alongside you and shared that grace. And you can come alongside that person in a month or six months or a year and you share that grace. That's how the sufferings of Christ on a practical level help individual to individual to individual arm themselves with that spirit of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. It's so practical. This world is a veil of sorrows, of tears, of difficulty. I sincerely doubt that any person who is truly born again is going to be exempt from problems, difficulties, trials in their heart, in their life. Because we're going to experience them, let's remember the source. Jesus Christ first suffered for us. He provides for us grace. We get through that trial. But we've got that grace then. Somewhere down the line, pass it on. And they'll pass it on. And they'll pass it on. So that others might experience grace in their time of suffering. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Nobody looking. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart and ministered to me. Slip your hand up high. Come on. Something spoke to me. Amen. 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 Let's, as we've heard tonight, let's pass it along to others. Praise the Lord. All right, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior and you would like to be born again, you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, then pray from your heart to God right now something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Give. to me.
Bye.